Uh, We are in the middle of a series called Painting a Bright Future, and uh, we started it last week, and the idea is how Christmas reminds us of the bright future that God gives us, despite what we may see, uh, what we experience, sometimes even our own thoughts that plague us. Christmas is that time where we can, in the middle of the craziness, we can choose to slow down and remember uh, some realities of the goodness that God brings. That goodness is not found in false promises or hopeful things that will happen. For us on this side of history, the goodness is found in the fact that Jesus has come. We have a bright future because we can actually look back to the recent past and see that God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. It's why it's so important to know scripture because as we know God's promises, when they are fulfilled, we can actually have his track record with God that he comes through. He does what he says. If you are walking with Jesus in your life right now, I hope that you have memories filled of all the things that you hoped would happen and then you saw that God came through for you. That builds this this track record of faithfulness where you can trust God more and more with the unknown, more and more with things that you don't know how it's gonna work out because you look back and you can see that God came through. So this series is a way of, of trying to remind us in the middle of all sorts of things, especially during this type of season, which can sometimes get lost. Um, I love the Christmas season. Um, I definitely get into just the, the sights and sound and the, the themes. And I was reflecting on the themes of Christmas and how these themes really do represent a lot of like longing uh, for the human experience. Like themes at Christmas represent a lot of what we hope for in this life. And it's interesting that Christmas is a time when like we're, we're trying to focus on that. And so I was reflecting on what some of those themes are. Um, expectation. Do you remember being a kid and remembering how far Christmas seemed and you couldn't wait for Christmas Day to arrive? Do you remember that? Like it was like one of those, it was like this beautiful thing. And then on Christmas Eve, if you opened your gifts on Christmas Day, there came a time when your parents said, you have to go to bed. You thought like, I can't go to bed. Tomorrow's gonna be the greatest day of my life because I just get to open all of these gifts and you're just like excited and thrilled about that opportunity. And I remember so many times going to bed and I just can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And then finally I fell asleep at whatever time and I woke up and it was Christmas morning. There are that idea of an expectation. And that is actually tied to the theme of Scripture, this expectation of the Messiah would come. But that expectation of Christmas, again, is fulfilled in who Christ is. He did what God said he would do. He came and he dwelled with us. He became God and fully man. At the same time, he was always God, but he became man and, and in the flesh, draw near. Another theme of Christmas is gifts. That's part of what we can be excited about, especially when we're younger, Now, when we get older, it's like, you know what? I bought my own gifts. I just put the label of my husband or my wife on it, right? It's like, I delivered the gift to myself from Amazon. Thank you, Amazon, for giving me that, right? It's a little different. But there still is something about Christmas and giving of gifts, receiving of gifts, which uh, there's this special transaction, if you will, where, where somebody has thought of you and you have thought of them. And that theme is connected to the greatest gift that we've been given, the gift of Christ, the grace that we've been given because, again, Jesus came. Another theme of Christmas is just the gathering of people. Now, if you're hosting, sometimes that gathering of people is overwhelming. Amen, right? Like, you're like, we love it, but it's stressful. But when you have people to gather with, that's a gift as well. Because one of the things we we long for is to be known by people and for us to know them. 
That's the gift of community. That's the gift of relationship. Also given to us by God. The reason I bring this up is to show that the themes of Christmas, if you actually raise your sights and you see the vision, these are the things that God has done that actually speak to what we long for. The expectation, the gathering of relationships, gifts, and then even just celebrating, celebrating good things. One of the greatest things we can do in life is to be thankful and to celebrate the things worthy of celebrating. We talked about this last week, the gloom of life, how we can be so focused on negative uh, things that are happening in our world, negative things in our mind, negative things in our life that we can just sometimes forget. Like, look at all the good. Look at all the provision. And I don't know about you, but there's so many things in my life that if I stop and pause and I remember, things that can be celebrated. Like, we're not exactly where we were. We've made progress. We've, We've seen God come through. And the celebrations of Christmas, again, are tied to the fact that we can celebrate the fact that God has pursued us and reminded us. So all of these themes speak to, again, the fact that God made us to experience and to long for these. And Christmas is the reminder that these things don't have to be searched for in an unknown place. They can actually be found through the pursuit of God. We don't have to hope that they will happen by the time that we die. We can know them here and now and for forevermore. That is the bright future that the Christmas story reminds us of. And I wanna start with this this big idea of scripture and then I'm gonna read from the Old Testament. Uh, Today, you're not gonna hear the Christmas story of Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that on Christmas Eve. But the past two weeks, we've actually been speaking from scripture 700 years before Jesus came. And I think that's very interesting and important because one of the things we have to remind ourselves is that God is always in control of history all of the time. He was then, he is now, and he always will be. He knows at the exact time things need to happen. And so 700 years when it was prophesied that Jesus would come, it didn't happen in the year 699. It didn't happen in the year 300. It happened right when Jesus came, the moment of history when it was the right time. And with God, the right time is always his time. And so as we look at these scriptures, we're reminded that there's these things and promises that God gives and he comes through. But here's this this point of Christmas is that Christmas shows God's grace and his longing to know us. The initiative that he took, the pursuit that he embarked on so that we could have a relationship with him. And it's rooted and established and the foundation is his grace the grace of him sending Jesus. So I wanna read uh, from Isaiah chapter 42. Now, I'm not gonna actually, um, Josh, if you could not put any scripture up yet, I'm just gonna read this whole passage. So if you will, I'm just gonna read and you're gonna have to listen without any visual aid. Can you do that? It's like, don't even look at your phone. You can even close your eyes, just don't fall asleep, okay? Uh, But I wanna read from Isaiah 42. And I just want to read verses one through nine so you can capture just this whole picture. If we're talking about this bright future, I want you to understand and get a glimpse of this vision. If you would, that the artist Isaiah is painting this picture for us. This is what God promises. This is what God brings. And it was fulfilled 700 years later. But because of that, because of the fulfillment and because of the promises, we can experience it today. So just read it, try to take it in, try to soak up the imagery And and then I'll I'll break it down kind of chunk by chunk. This is Isaiah 42, chapter one, or sorry, 
verse one through nine. It says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry loud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Verse five, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved aisles. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the prophecy of the Old Testament from the person of Isaiah to us and a promise. Now, if you were able to pick up on some of the themes, you'll see there were some things related to, to justice that shows up a lot in just those first nine verses. There's these themes of, of grace and how he meets us where we are. There's these themes of freedom and what he does when we feel like we're, we're in the darkness or in the dungeon. And so what I wanna do is just highlight these themes and how these themes and the promises of God is exactly the bright future and the present reality that, that we all need. And not only that, because all of us are living in this world with all of our experiences and all the relationships we have, God wants to do a work in you that will transform your life so that you can be a part of the transforming lives of other people. That's what the promise of scripture is. For this day through forevermore, something new will happen, something new in you, a transformed life, and then you get to be a part of seeing the transforming work and the people that you relate to. So as we celebrate the child dedication, something that we do with parents is we will pray and pray and plead with God that they'll be a part of the transforming work of God changing their life and they'll choose to follow him. And you can see one generation who dedicates and presents their kids to the Lord as their next generation rises up and says, we will do the same. You can see how generation after generation is changed. That's the promise of what God does. It's not just here and now in this present time, this just flashbang. It's something that is rooted in the present reality, promised in the past that goes on forever and it impacts generations. That's the promise of Christmas because of what Jesus has done. And so I wanna start back at the beginning of this passage that I read and highlight some of the things that, that Jesus uh, came to bring. And, and verse one isn't on here. Well, I think it is. Uh, in the first promise of, of what he came to bring in justice and grace. And I just want to highlight it again. So the first promise is justice and grace, but Isaiah 42.1 says this, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. It's very easy to read that and just gloss over, but if you could imagine God is telling you his heart, he's sending his son who he delights. So it shows this great sacrifice that when he sent Jesus, he sent the one, not only is this duty or transaction, but he sent the one he delighted in. If you're a parent, you know what that delight feels like. If you have somebody that means something to you, you know what that delight feels like. 
But not only that, it shows that he's willing to give something that he delights in, but it also shows his heart for the relationship with us. He also delights in us. He longs to know us and to love us. And so the promise of justice and grace is a twofold promise, but it's rooted to this idea of the delight of God. If you grew up in church, sometimes you came into church and maybe the delight of God was not what you were thinking about. Have you ever come to church and all you think about is like how screwed up your life is? Don't raise your hands. That's like a really difficult thing, but that's how it feels at times. Like I have to try to fix things and I don't know how to fix it. People tell me to keep fixing, but I don't know how, and you feel stuck. But if you come from the perspective that God delights in you and he wants to know you, you really are front loaded with hope. And it's from hope and that perspective that you realize that God is with you and he will change you. You don't have to change yourself before you come to God. He delights in you. He will bring the change that you long for. You can't fix yourself. That's the promise of Christ. And his soul delights. And then he will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, justice is something that, again, many people long for in this world. As we've been wronged, we want somebody to make it right. Oftentimes, if no one is, it's like, well, I have to fix that because I've been wronged. And there's that tension there of how do we fix those things where injustice reigns. And we don't have to look further than our own family to see that that's tension in our own life with our own sin. Uh, because of sin, we, we've wronged God. There's an injustice that exists between us and him. We've rebelled. There's a separation. But because God delights in us, he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the price for that. So that separation be overwhelmed and replaced by Jesus himself. He came to pay that price for the injustice that we had. So while we cry out for injustice, what we always have to look at is the fact that injustice began with us as we turned away from God, the one who made us and loved us. We decided to do our own thing on our own terms. But again, because of the love and the grace of God, he sent Christ so that the injustice over us wouldn't define us. It could actually be forgiven. And so he brings forth justice to the nations, but it comes from this delight and it's connected to his grace. Uh, ver verse two speaks of this some more. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Uh, verse two is speaking to the fact of really the prediction of, of Christ's birth. Again, the announcement came to certain people, but it didn't come to all the people that you would think. It came to shepherds, the lowly in fields. It came to men from a distant land. Can I get a water, please? Sorry, that was one of those random squirrel, <laughs> squirrel thoughts. Thank you. <laughs> I was flowing, and then I won't if I don't drink any water, so I better get some. Thank you. Can I just say this is like the hottest December I've remembered in a while? Okay, um, where was I? Don't answer that, I'll figure it out. But, you know, it's very interesting as, as you look at the announcement of his birth, you know, who, who it came to. Uh, the leaders of the day were, were the last to know that they longed to know because they had their own agenda. But it's this reminder that, that, that Christ actually came, and this is that part of justice and his grace. He came in, in meekness and in majesty. And that's one of the things we have to remember. That's always the twofold promise of God. It's the meekness, he's approachable, 
and the majesty. He is God. That's who Christ is. And so it's not that he lacks power. He just doesn't lord it over us and use it to crush us. And so it's speaking of this announcement, like it was in this lowly manger on purpose. Think about that. It's so the scripture could be fulfilled. The announcement would come in a land where people didn't know, only a few who God chose. And so that's that speaking of, of just heard in the street. It wasn't known forever. It, it spread, but only a few knew. That's verse two. And then verse three, it's speaking specific of the, the meekness, a bruised reed, he will not break. A reed is speaking of this, like, this, this flower, this plant. And the idea is like it's bent. And if you've ever seen a plant that, that's bending or it's, it seems like you're like, oh, at any moment, that thing is just going to snap off. Now, that's the last thing you want to hear me say about plant or growing things because I'm a plant killer. But I know when things are bruised and bent, that's not good. But the idea is, is as you're drooping, just like this reed would be, and it looks like it's on the verge of snapping, Christ came not to complete that process to crush you. He actually comes to lift up your droopy head. Think about the promise hundreds of years before Christ came. He came that these bruised reeds that's bent and feeling like you're at your, your last part of strength, your last reality that you can cope with, you will not be broken. You will be helped. And then this other picture, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. If you've ever felt like you're just faith is just not a fire, it's this just spark that you keep trying and you keep growing, but that spark just does not grow into a fire and it can be very discouraging. Like I, I'm trying, I wanna grow, I wanna get in a different place, I wanna be a different person, but it's just like all I've got is the spark. That's all I can see. And it can be very discouraging. As you look around, you're like, there's all the fires of these people, like their, their faith and their growth and what they're doing. And it's like, look at me. We can get into comparison and it's just that, that fire even just grows even more dimly as we do that. But Christ came, not for these raging fires of faith, but just sparks. That's his grace. He will meet you where you are. And the injustice that's over our head because of what we've done, he'll deal with justly with his grace, with his meekness, and with his majesty. And the injustices that we see in this world, here and now, he will deal with that justly, according to his grace, according to his meekness, and according to his majesty. This is the promise that we have. All of the things that seem unraveling, God sees. And we can hope that in his justice and in his grace, the promise that we find in scripture, uh, it will be fulfilled. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, Verse four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the promise that he doesn't stop. You ever tried to start something, you're like, this is too difficult. You know, it's time to like do your New Year's resolutions, right? Do you guys do that? Or is that, is that are we over that now? Is that like, eh, eh it's like, we don't do that anymore. But you know, January 1st, you got your resolution, January 4th, overrated, you know, <laughs> But the idea of like the newness, like it's all, it's like a clean slate. We long for that. But like our own willpower, oh, we just, it ends. And we just find ourselves in the same place. This is like the most discouraging New Year's resolution sermon. So don't, if you're wanting to make one, don't listen to this part, okay? You can be a new you and you can do it the whole year. May the Lord help you, okay? (laughs) 
But, but this idea, is, it shows like our own weaknesses and our own willpower as they come up short. God's never does. And we have to remember that because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We get discouraged a lot because we see the lack of our own effort or willpower or control or our own grace or our own patience. And it's the reminder that's the overflow of who God is that these things happen. You don't have to do it yourself. It's the overflow of who God is. He will not grow faint. And I love that. He's not discouraged. It goes back to the delight. He's gonna keep showing up and being who he is every day forever. We can trust him because of that. He doesn't change. And that, to me, is what I need to hear this Christmas in the middle of everything that's going on in our lives. So that's the first, this justice and this grace. But he also goes on life and guidance. And I'm gonna move through this quickly. Verse five, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So this idea of I'm gonna send you my son in whom I delight, he will come in meekness, he will meet you right where you are, whether you're discouraged or you feel like all you have is a spark, he will meet you right where you are. But then this promise goes further. What will he do? Well, the one who's the creator, the one who builds, the one who is the almighty one, everything on the earth, he also draws near to us. And what does he do? He gives us breath. He gives us life. Think about that. Again, that majesty and that meekness, the majesty of the God who created everything comes to us and he gave us breath. We're here because we've experienced the breath of God. Isn't that an amazing thing to think? Like we would not be here until God decided that he would give you breath and he would give you life and you're here. You are a fulfillment as well of this prophecy that we've received the breath of the living God out of his love, out of his grace, out of his justice. And then he gives us his spirit. So he gives us this breath. But notice that the breath, the life begins. But then the spirit, the life is now guided. That's so important. God doesn't just give us this life and then removes himself. He gives us this life and then he gave us his son and then because we have his son, we have his spirit. So if you turn and realize that Christ is the leader and the Lord of your life and you choose to follow him from the moment you become a Christian, and that's what it means. I give everything to the Lord Jesus. I surrender my life to him. The moment you do that, you become a Christian. The moment you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been given life, all of us, whoever exists. But the only people who choose to follow God through Christ receive the spirit. That's God's guidance helping you. It's the counsel. It's the discernment. It's, it's everything that we need. In the middle of our confusion, we've been given a Holy Spirit to help us, to give us insight. As we read God's word, it helps us come alive. It connects dots. As we ask him for help, it gives us discernment to know to go right or to go left or to turn around. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's part of that, that guidance that flows not just from his breath, but from the spirit that he gives us. Life and guidance are gifts from him, just like his justice, just like his grace. But that's not it. Now, you probably don't feel this as much as I do, but have you ever 
when you were younger, looked at the Christmas tree and counted your gifts? Anyone done that this year? Yeah, you got to look, yeah, a little younger. But I know there are some of you that have adults. I know. It's okay. Just, yeah, I, I see you, okay? But, you know, when you're older, you're like, you know, what's the point? But when you read Scripture, one, one of the imagery that, that I want you to think when you read Scripture in the promises of God, try to compare yourself to when you were younger and you were counting the gifts under the tree. And like one, you're like, oh man, that better be like the best gift I've ever got. Because if it's just one, come on. Two, all right. But when it started getting up there, you're like, dude, <laughs> it's like, you're, why do you guys act like you don't like Christmas? Or, <laughs> I'm not feeling like reciprocal here, right? Like, I'm kind of getting into it right now. I'm ready. But, but there's something about like the gifts, like, wow, this is like amazing, you know? When you, we read scripture, it's like opening gift after gift after gift. But we lo- it's like, oh, wow, another gift. Can you? It's a gift from the living God to us. And already in these nine verses, think of the gifts that we've been given. Not only Christ, but justice and grace and meekness and majesty and guidance and life. But it, it goes on. So this is like going back to the tree and saying, there's one more. And there's the last gift. It's, it's freedom. This is, I think, my favorite part of the passage. Because if you will, before I read it, think about you've received all these gifts. You've been given the son. He's met you where you are. He doesn't hold your life against you. He's with you. He guides you. He gives you life. He wants to guide every aspect of your life. He's given you this grace freely. And then all of these gifts that you've been given, and now your life can now be a gift for others. That's the gospel. As we're transformed, again, we're part of the transforming work of God in this world. So check out this end here. You can put that up on the screen. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So these gifts that you've been given, this is the covenant, the promise God's people, this is what you will receive. But then notice, what is it for? It's for this light for the nations. It's never just for us. It's for us to receive so that we can share with others. That's the church. That's our duty as the church, to be a light for the nations in this dark world, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The idea is the world is chasing all of these things to worship. They worship, you know, fame and money and success and themselves, but that's the carved image. It's like man-made. There's only one that's worthy of glory. And it's the God that's described in this passage. It's the God of the Bible who sent his son. He doesn't stoop down and worship any, anyone. He alone is worthy. But see that imagery to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the, the prisoners. That's, that's really the hope uh, that, that we have. And so I want to just encourage you this morning. Some of you here beat yourselves up a lot. Is that a fair statement? You beat yourself up. You wake up, 
and there's just kind of things that are plaguing you and you just beat yourself up. And there's shame and there's just this idea of like you're not living up to the expectation of God. You're not living up to the expectation of others and you just keep falling short. What you need to receive today is the gift of the meekness of Christ. No matter how your reed is bruised and you felt stooped over on the point of breaking, Christ will not break you. He will help you. I want you to hear that. You're not too far gone from God's help. And one of the things you have to do is you have to stop beating yourself up because you're not the standard of good in God's eyes. And I thank God that that's the case because I'm not either. The standard of good is his son who he gave to pay the penalty in full because his standard of good was the exact value we needed. And so if you're struggling this morning, be encouraged by this scripture. It's written for us so that we can be encouraged. He meets us right where we are. And so give yourself grace, not to condone just patterns of sin, but to be reminded that you can't earn God's favor. It's given to you freely. Others of you, I just want to encourage you in this season, God wants to use you in this specific instance of what the scripture says. You're relating to some people that are in some dungeons. You're relating to some people that are in some darkness. And God, through his supernatural hand, has placed you in the lives of people that need to see and experience the light of Christ in your life. You have a duty and an opportunity to let that light shine. Next week on Christmas Eve, we're gonna talk about that. And we're praying that we'll have many and many people that are experiencing this dungeon in their life, and for the first time, they'll decide there is a light that's been given, and his name is Jesus. And so I wanna ask you to join me in praying for all the people that we'll have next week. What we're really asking is that many unchurched non-Christians will come and celebrate Christmas Eve with us, and they'll hear the light of Christ for the very first time, and it will make sense to them enough that they'll decide to give their lives fully to him. But God uses us, and it oftentimes doesn't happen on a Sunday. It happens in these little moments of time at work, time in your neighborhood, with your friendships, with your family. So just join me in praying that God will allow us to be light to the people that he's placed in our life. There's some specific next steps. I wanna just invite the, the band to come back up. Um, the first is just very practical, and, and we're a week out from Christmas Eve, which is hard to believe, but I just want to encourage you to just thank God daily from now until next week for sending Jesus. Talk about the greatest gift that sometimes we forget, but I just want to encourage you every morning when you wake up, may the first words out of your mouth, God, thank you for sending Jesus. There's no way to prepare for Christmas greater than that. It's just to thank him for Christ. Second, pray for an opportunity to explain and extend grace this week. Again, there's people in your life that don't have grace. They're under a tremendous amount of pressure to try to measure up to themselves, to others. They don't know what grace is, that they've been forgiven, that this meekness of Christ is for them. And so just pray. 
for an opportunity to explain it. There might be someone who just, just needs a word of encouragement. Christ who loves them. And then to extend it. And sometimes both of those are very hard. To explain it, to, to kind of insert Christ into a conversation and to insert grace into a situation. But pray God can allow us to do that. Oftentimes, they're with the people that we love the most but are hardest to extend grace to. Insert kid's name, spouse's name, extended relatives, all the different people that we're gonna relate to. So that's the second. Uh, third, invite a guest to our Christmas Eve service. This is one of those where people don't come unless they're invited. The greatest invitation is a personal one. Uh, we are doing door hangers. We, we have marketing and different ads, but those are impersonal, right? Like you see something, you have to be pretty uh, willing and desperate to do something that you have no connection to. But God uses that. But oftentimes, the invitations that stick are from one life to another, where they know you. They're like, oh, wow, you're a part of that church? I, I would consider that. And so this week is the greatest opportunity. You can't invite to the Christmas Eve service on the 26th. I know you knew that. I just, you know, it just came to me. And then the last, I want to encourage all of us as a church to do this. I think this could be a great way to ring in just Christmas. Uh, there's a, a Bible reading plan that's really encouraged me in the past, and I think it's a good time to do it again. Paul David Tripp is a great writer. He's written a devotional book uh, called Come, Let Us Adore Him, and it's seven days. And so if you scan that, uh, that will take you to the Bible app. And from here until Christmas Eve, and you can even extend that to Christmas Day, uh, you could do a daily reading in Scripture and just some insightful just ideas of this devotion. And so uh, what if we did that as a church? Just each day we know that as a church we're working through this. And you could start today or you could start tomorrow. But scan that, or if you have the Bible app, just look for this image, type in, come let us adore him, and that, that will show up. But I encourage you, that will help you focus on the gifts that we've been given in Christ. So I encourage you to take that step. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the promise of Scripture, the promise of the Messiah who has come. And we thank you that, God, in your meekness and in your majesty, you came and dwelled here so that you could be known, so that we could be forgiven, so that justice could extend from here until forevermore. And Lord, I just do pray for those who are struggling with just discouragement, beating themselves up, feeling like they don't measure up. God, may they embrace the gospel, which is we can never measure up, but Jesus has allowed us to approach you because he always is measured up. And so thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for knowing the exact time in which he needed to come and knowing that here and now you're with us. God, I pray for the different invites that will go out for our Christmas Eve service. I pray that people will come, that they'll be compelled to come. Will you soften hearts? Will you give us courage to invite? Lord, we pray for our service that will be honoring to you, that we will glorify you above all, and people will see the light of the world in the middle of the darkness, and they'll be compelled to walk into the light. We ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.